0: Wants it to first. champions. The Rams were built to win the Super Bowl and they have sealed the deal. The long wait has ended. After a half century, the Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. And Lightning has struck twice
1: And the Tampa Bay Lightning are back-to-back Stanley Cup Champions.
2: Episode 110. And as the words come out of my mouth, I still can't believe we've lasted this long. For future considerations, I'm Manny. The boys are here, Matt and John. Fellas, how are you doing? Great, Manny. How are you? <laughs> I'm just answering
0: your question every time you're laughing.
2: You're so straight-legged. You're so straight. laced you are so straight <laughs> i
0: am great, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Rashad! What's
3: I'm that? I'm good. I had a bit of a, an adventure in that big snowstorm that came across. Uh sort of central and southern Ontario on the weekend we had to move some furniture and drove through one of the worst snowstorms of my entire life but uh we got it here so we're sitting on new furniture if anyone
0: wants to come over
2: why didn't you tell us this story in the first episode of the week he was all hyped up. You were, yeah,
0: come on. I We oh, get John on here. It's one story after another. He's got
2: so many stories. He can't keep them all straight. He's, <laughs> he's got to share them all.
0: Like, it, it was beautiful down here the last couple of days. Amazing. Wearing shorts. Yeah. Outside. <laughs> In the pool. Uh, <laughs>
2: listen to Tiesto. <laughs> what a song that was. Hey, by the way, March Madness underway. You're here, so you haven't lost all your money. (laughs) That's why I'm wearing
0: a barrel. (laughs) Rashad,
2: how much money have you
3: lost? Oh, I'm not doing well. I am not doing well at all. (laughs) So your bracket's not very good?
0: No, no, no. (laughs) I had a strategy going in. And it is a bad stretch. <laughs> not working out so far. Not working out. Oh, really man.
2: not. I'm not up. Let's just say yeah. I'm not up. <laughs> Picked a lot of Cinderella teams. Do you yeah. remember the scene in Caddyshack? Uh Cinderella story. <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying when I was picking all the way Cinderella's in the bracket Cinderella story, Cinderella story. <laughs>
0: Bill Murray so good hey, I wrote this down I want to make sure I get it out episode 110 the Alan Johnson episode of for future considerations Alan Johnson yeah absolutely so in the Olympics I didn't realize that the uh, the hundred meter the hurdles it's actually 110 meters in the Olympics. So he has won the most world championships or Olympic gold medals in the 110 meter hurdles, but on the women's side, it's only hundred meters.
2: Really interesting. That's a good
0: pull. 110. 110. So it's 110 meter hurdles.
2: Alan Johnson is your man. You may not know anything about the NCAA tournament listening to us. No, but you will know some fun facts. From Matt to Michelle.
0: I truly put the most effort in this show into trying to find something that matches the episode number.
3: (laughs) And you're doing a heck of a job. It's
0: something. It's something. You're doing a heck of a job. What else do we got here?
3: (laughs) Well, we talked about the NCAA tournament in our first show of the week. And if you didn't listen, you missed a lot, but we're not doing well. So maybe we aren't experts on this tournament.
0: Yeah. I mean, we talked about the return of baseball, which is just fantastic. I'm so glad uh, everything worked out for both of them. Uh, (laughs) NFL news, (laughs) NHL deadline, all of that good stuff. Plenty to go back to listen to episode
2: 109 about. Yeah. Since this is our second show, show of the week the show we like to call the ot we like to have more fun i guess and have a little fun conversation normally yeah we got a special guest on the show
3: we've had some tremendous guests over the past year
0: uh, Aaron Franzen, who we had last week, uh, one of the biggest episodes in For Future Considerations history, for sure. Uh, he was awesome. Jeff Kurzakis and Curtis Sanford, Will Cooley, Wyatt Johnston, Andrew Parrott, Mike Fuda. We helped wow. get him a job. <laughs> we helped <laughs> Jamie Campbell. Uh, Bob Elliott was on as well. So go back and, and take a listen to, to all those episodes. There's some some great insight in there, for sure. And as always, you can let us know what you think by email, considerations at
3: gmail.com.
0: When we first started this, I I made a point that we had to get Kiefer Sutherland on this podcast, but it doesn't actually get any better than this guy.
2: This guy has been the voice of the OHL team at Owen Sound since they moved to the scenic city in 1989. He is now one of the preeminent voices in the Ontario Hockey League. He started his broadcast career in 1982 at the Powerful. CKMP in Midland. That station was so powerful, it doesn't even exist anymore. He moved to Owen Sound in 1984 and has never left. He is a broadcast staple in Owen Sound and Graham Bruce counties as part of the morning show on 560 CFOS and synonymous with sports in the Owen Sound area. So much so that he has been inducted into the Sports Hall of Fame in that community. Some people call him the mayor of Owen Sound. We just call him for poker. Please welcome to, for future considerations, Fred Wallace.
4: Hello, guys. How are you? Great, Fred. How are you? Doing fine. Doing fine. Making lots of progress here. And if the doctors ever get together and tell me a date for surgery, then we'll take the next big step.
2: How many times have people stopped you in the street to see how you're doing?
4: Uh, not very often because I'm keeping a pretty low profile, but uh, the texts and, and the emails and uh, one night I snuck into the station and there were some nice cards there. So, you know, it, it's if you're on the air every day since 1988 in the morning and you're not there for three weeks, obviously there's a gap and, and people get used to it. So so that that's understandable.
3: I can tell you, too, at the attack games, we've had people stopping by the booth constantly <laughs> every game wanting to know how you're doing. and
4: Tell Fred, I hope
3: he's feeling better
4: and all that stuff. So
3: people are missing you.
4: So, John, why don't you just say he's doing fine? Now, buzz off. <laughs> <laughs> he's working. He's working. Yeah. People just don't understand that, do they?
2: <laughs> so, so Fred, do you want to update people on uh, on what you uh, what the doctors told you?
4: Sure. Um, the initial diagnosis was that I had a heart attack, um, which was funny because I only went up to the to the hospital to get checked out on the insistence of our human resources director, she said that, you know, what you, your symptoms, because you left work, and, and uh, Matt Hermes ratted me out, uh, he's, she said you had to go to the hospital, and it sounds like you've got a heart attack, so I went, and that's the igni- uh, initial diagnosis, when, um, after a couple of days, they wanted me to send me to St. Mary's, but of course, with the way things are in the medical profession now, through no fault of anybody's, things get backed up, we got into the weekend, and then finally, they sent me to St. Mary's on the Monday, so five days after the fact, and they did an angiogram, and it found that there was no damage to the heart, uh, no clogging, no blocking, no lesions. And so what the EKG discovered was that I had uh, what's called SVT, which is supraventricular tricardia, which some people have, but it is a, a birth defect. So what the uh, that was the diagnosis. And the uh, doctor, Dr. Chan at St. Mary's, gave me three options. Number one was to do nothing, that I could live the rest of my life and just periodically have... A rapid heartbeat. Uh, The second uh, recommendation or option was to um, have medication to deal with it when that happened, and then the third was his recommendation was to have surgery. So that's what we're going to have. In they said two to three months, but I haven't heard anything since. So that's where we are right now, just sitting and waiting.
2: Well, glad you're doing okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, well, it's about time you took some time for yourself,
4: though. (laughs) I can tell you this: the dog don't like me anymore because when he sees me (laughs) coming. He goes the other way because we're getting, you know, two to three 30-minute walks a day rather than one 90-minute walk a day. So Hank's pretty tuckered out by about this time of the evening. Oh, man.
2: (laughs) Well, we're glad that you're okay. We're glad that you're doing the podcast because you've played a big role in all of our
4: lives. So I appreciate that. Um, no, it's nice to nice to be a part of it. And, and what's really remarkable and, and what I'm, I'm really enjoying is that between uh, the guys at the rink, in, including John and the guys on the road, uh, be it Mark McKelvey or Matt Hermits last weekend, they, they picked it up without uh, missing a beat. So that, that's the really good thing. And it, it reduces a lot of worry that way.
2: Well, we're going to talk about calling OHL games in a while here, Fred. But let's start. When did you know you wanted to be a sports broadcaster? Because you were a radio and I let me say it the Fred Wallace Day way, disc
4: <laughs> jockey back in the day. Yeah, well, I, I think that was always there. You know, I went to Ryerson uh, with, with the belief that I would be a sports broadcaster. And when I started at Midland, uh, you know, in very short order, on top of being a disc jockey, they also gave me sports duties, uh, sports responsibilities. There came to Owen Sound in 1984 as a disc jockey. And then uh, when Ed Eldred uh, departed in 1988, I moved into his position, and that's where I've been for 30-plus years. So what was,
0: what was the timeline of you getting to Owen Sound and then the uh, Owen Sound Platers arriving? And what was that, that experience like when, when they got to town?
4: So I, I came Christmas of uh, 1984, so start of 85. And there was Tier 2 hockey, or actually it was Junior B hockey when I got here, the Grays, for the remainder of that year 85. And then from 85 to 87, for two great years, They were in what was known as the Southern Ontario Junior A League, which was one step below the OHL. And the hockey was really good. Uh, There were guys that were younger guys going to the OHL eventually. Ray Edwards, Derek Booth, uh, Curtis Joseph played for Richmond Hill. Rick Tabaracci played for Markham. So it was a really good league because at the top of it were some OHL guys or some NCAA guys who weren't going to go OHL or had been to OHL and were back. So the hockey was really good for a couple of years. And then the entire league folded except for the Owen Sound Grays. Six teams went by the wayside financially, and Owen Sound was the only one left standing, so they didn't have a league. They went back to Junior B for two years, uh, from 1987 to 1989, and then the Platers came. Uh, actually, Kingston almost came in April of 1989. That, that one went sideways. And then uh, the Platers came in June of 1989.
2: So the Kingston-Frontenacs were that close, or... What were they, the Kingston Canadians at the time or whatever? Raiders.
4: The they Kingston the Raiders. Raiders. Yeah. So Luke Kazowski was the owner, and he came to Owen Sound fully intent to move the Kingston Raiders to Owen Sound. Uh, they had a businessman's meeting one night. Uh, some of the town people, you know, your economic developer and, uh, you know, your, your business developer and your mayor and whatnot, they all got together and they got plastered. And the next day they had a, a media day. And I walked by an extremely hungover Luke Kazowski. and I thought, this guy's not going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had this media day, and it was, it was really good. You know, Luke Kazowski pulled it off, and everybody was excited. And so they brought it up to the OHL Board of Governors on a Friday in April, probably the first weekend of April of 1989. And I remember doing my morning shift on CFOS, jumping in the car, and then racing down to um, an airport hotel uh, off Airport Road in Toronto. Uh, for the Board of Governors meeting. And when I got there, the meeting was over and the Kingston plan had been scuttled. And the only person that I ran into, you know, everybody was gone except for Larry Mavity. And Larry Mavity was the the coach and the general manager of the Kingston Raiders at the time. And so he was good enough to do an interview with me really briefly. And I said, well, what happens now? And, And in Mav's famous words, he said he didn't know. So Kingston went by the boards in April. And then within two months, the Guelph players had made the move. Wow. So one, one other note back in that time period, now that I'm thinking of it, uh, maybe the long weekend in May, the Guelph players were going to make the announcement that they were coming to Owen Sound. And on a Friday morning, they were having a news conference in the old Guelph arena in one of the uh, corporate offices or whatever would be part of that facility. And so once again, did my morning shift and me and Carl Fairman jumped in the car and we drove Carl. down Highway 6. This will surprise you at the end of this, but we drove down Highway 6 and Rob Holiday came out and he conducted a 21-second news conference saying that their legal advisors had told them to say nothing at this time. And he said that, I understand that some of you have come a long, long way, and I really didn't know Rob at the time. I got a feeling that somebody had tipped him off that I'd been talking about it all morning and and was on my way to, well, so he had a 21-second news conference, and he wrapped it up by saying, if you guys want to write or broadcast something, uh, my daughter uh, took her first steps, she's 18 months, and so me and Carl jumped back in the car and headed north, and the big shocker in all of this is that I ended up buying lunch. <laughs> 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 That's not shocking at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Carl, Carl could sell snow. To
2: <laughs> <laughs> Freddie, what was the bigger story? The platers <laughs> moving to Owen Sound or the Platers almost leaving Owen Sound?
4: Oh, almost leaving. You know, that that, that was, you know, and, and what followed, you know, <laughs> that, that Thursday through Monday morning was was an unbelievable sequence of events. Um, I remember I went on the Thursday night to the emergency council meeting or the special council meeting or whatever it was was called to show my support with the, all the Plater fans that that were there that wanted the team to stay in Owen Sound. And as the counselors went by, you know, it wasn't threatening or, or mean-spirited, but they were told that, you know, we need this team. Uh, because of the hours that I get up, as soon as the council went in, I went home to bed. And I remember waking up the next morning reading Christine Curtis's story and first thinking, did she get this right? You know, that they're leaving or that, that council is not going to support the uh, the right to match offer. And then I thought, well, Christine's got no history of being erroneous or, or non-factual in her work. And I was depressed for three, four hours. Then you got mad for three, four hours. And then it's 11 o'clock and, and my day's over. So I'm going to go home and sulk and pout and cry. And just as I'm getting ready to leave, I see coming across the parking lot, Barry Hamill and uh, Greg uh, McIver. And they want to talk about this, you know, rescue the Platers plan. So we had this little meeting, and and you know, we'll give them on air support on this Friday. I'm not sure if it was Easter weekend or not. Might have been. Anyway, um, so that was that. I went to bed. When I woke up from my nap, the news was on CFOS, and the mayor of the time was was Stu Taylor. And Stu was quoted by, as saying that doesn't matter what's happening with this with this rally. It's it's fait accompli. It's all done. And then as the years went by, my understanding, and I I don't know my politics correctly, but for something to become in effect, there has to be a second and then a third reading. And I guess they never got around to the third reading. And in the interim, the the fan club and the people that were involved in that fundraiser generated in excess of three quarters of a million dollars in pledges and and donations. And the team was saved.
2: Yeah, I, I think that I think it went that Thursday meeting. They said, there's nothing else we can do. But they still needed to approve the motion that Monday night, that next week at the next council meeting. And by then, as you mentioned, <laughs> Fred, the the people who love the Platers, who love the OHL, had basically raised almost a million dollars. It's unbe- yeah. unbelievable when you think about it, isn't it?
4: I think that on the Monday or the Tuesday morning, I got a phone call from who was whoever was the sports guy was in Cornwall. It wasn't it wasn't Fred Fletch, and it wasn't Tom Racine and it wasn't anybody with the newspaper. It was just some guy that was on connected to the radio station and he was wild trying to figure out what <laughs> happened. And I, I personally really didn't know either, other than you know, the city had thirty days to match the offer. They said that they wouldn't. The the fundraiser, you know, gave them proof that the team would be supported and and they went back to square one. And again, you'd have to get Stu Taylor to to tell you the ins and outs of the council. But I distinctly remember an audio clip of Stu saying it doesn't matter what the, the fan clubs do or the fans do this weekend, the team is going. And I remember Stu saying that, you know, we'll, we still have junior B hockey here, and he certainly planned to support junior B hockey to the fullest. And that was on the Friday. And on the Monday, everything had, had done a 180-degree turn. So, you know, in terms of, of what was the bigger story, Manny? no question about it, the, the almost departure. Because if, if you look at the, you know, I've got, still got some of those tapes from the old CKNX TV of the first games that the Owen players came and the Bayshore was really bereft of fans. You know, it looks like there, there might have been 1,200 people there, if that, for, for some of those early games.
2: My first year in o you would laugh because you could hear me screaming at Josh Seabook across the Bayshore.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> what was it what? like covering those Platers teams back in the 90s and uh, riding the bus and that type of thing?
4: It, it was good, John, you know, because it was new for me. Uh, uh, the, the level of play obviously was such a jump forward. It was, no offense to Midland Centennials and the penitentiary Kings where I started. That's, that was junior C hockey and, you know, Penitang went all the way and won the championship one year, won the Schmaltz cup. So that was a very good team. But then I came to Owen sound and junior B hockey was a step higher than that. Like I say, that tier two grace team that they had, uh, that was an even bigger step up. Uh, and then finally when the OHL came I went man oh man this is this is something elite here so you know you, you were seeing a great brand of hockey and a level of professionalism that that does not exist or cannot exist below it based on on finances and commitments and and level of play and caliber of play and a variety of reasons so it it really was exciting that first year and you know, the, the greatest thing that happened in that first year is they had a seven game series with Sudbury that was, you know, a, a, give or take the St. Mike series in 2011 was as good a series as we've ever seen in the city of Owen Sound.
0: And all kinds of different players, obviously, have, <coughs> have come and gone uh, from, from Owen Sound and you've seen them, you know, draw on into to NHL careers. Who stands out for you as far as um, some of the best players that you've seen or, or maybe some of the, uh, uh, the, the best guys to be around?
4: It's, a you know, if you ever get into the question of who's the best player and best attack player, that's an argument that I, I think you can have four or five different prongs on. You know, I, I was always kind of, um, you know, always a favorite of mine was Andrew Burnett just because he had beautiful hands. And, and I don't think anybody will touch what he did in terms of a point scoring. You know, it, it's a different game now, certainly, but 162 points in a year was pretty fantastic. And I think the point streak was 47. So he would be one. Dan Snyder, uh, Brian Christie, Adam Mayer, Ryan Davis in that era, they they were great fun to watch. Uh, Brad Richardson was, was an extremely complete player. Uh, Joey Hishin, you could probably make an argument that, that Joey is the best of the bunch because he's got a ring uh, to show for a championship. Nick Suzuki in, in most recent times. So, and, and who knows what Colby Barlow is going to do because Colby just recently, guys, as you know, smashed the underage goal scoring record and, and not just broke it, he smashed it. Uh, he's still got 15, 10, 15 games to go, and he's already broken the record, and he missed probably five to eight games in there as well due to injuries and under 17. So, you know, the the, the definitive answer in, in some locations, who's the best Peterborough Pete or who's the best Oshawa general of all time, you can you can have pretty distinct answers, but not no one's found. I don't think you can, not just yet.
2: Yeah, I talked to Colby in Windsor recently, and he's a great young man. And the record that he smashed was held by Bobby Ryan, right? Like, imagine yeah. the, the career that yeah. he would have.
4: Which, which brings in another sort of debate that we've been having here in the city, or I've been watching unfold on Twitter and, and on my uh, text message, is, you know, he broke Bobby Ryan's record, which is the attack record. And he also broke the franchise record, which is co-held by Daniel Siska. So they both had 22 goals as 16-year-olds, but there seemed to be a reluctance to, to let Daniel Siska in on this as if the players were <laughs> the ugly stepchild. I kid you <laughs> not. So Anyway, it, to, to everybody's credit, you know, Daniel's getting, getting the credit that he deserves along with Bobby Ryan, and, and I think that's great. And, and uh, you know, we were kind of laughing, saying, well, what do we do about the, the record for fastest three goals? Uh, I don't know who did it for the Platers. I I don't have that tabulation only because I've been tabulating for Owen Sound. And the answer there is Kyle Platzer at, at six minutes and change. But it's not the franchise record because that belongs to a guy named Paul Kelly, who played for the Guelph Platers? Who did it in five minutes and change? So, you know what what happens? Will somebody break Kyle Platzer's record? And uh, Paul Kelly doesn't exist, or do we go with the the longstanding franchise records? And, and I'm sure a lot of these franchises have to have to uh, go through it. You know, one of one of the more fascinating ones, I think, is that the is that the Erie Otters, were originally the Windsor Spitfires in the 1940s. There, mm-hmm. There's some sort of transient history in there.
2: Right, and you know we we haven't talked about the Guelph players back in the day, but their list is pretty long. But other Owen Sound players like Wayne Primo, Kirk Maltby, like Bobby Ryan. Do you have? Have you ever done like a a six guys an all time Owen Sound OHL lineup?
4: Thought about it, but never ever put it to pen or paper. And and again, that would be an extremely you know I left those guys off, man. You know, yeah, just yeah. just off the, just off the top of my head, with no offense to any of them. You right. know, Kirk Malpe's got four Stanley Cups. Kirk Malpey was a, a 50 goal scorer in, in his last year in the Ontario hockey. League. Kirk Malpey is, you know, is, is maybe as complete a player as we've ever had here. So is he the best? Yeah, well, let's throw him into that argument as well. So, you know, it's one of those things. we haven't mentioned Wayne Simmons. Uh right. if, yeah. if if Wayne Simmons, you know, he only played a year and a half in the one sound, but uh, if if Wayne Simmons gets five, six more goals in the NHL. He will be the Owen Sound Plater attack graduate with the most national hockey league goals. He's, you know, Andrew Burnett, I think, is at 268. Wayne Simmons might be 262 and and grinding it out there on the fourth line. So if the Leafs ever get their act together, maybe he'll he'll bypass that.
0: Jeez. You may need another thousand games. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Who's the best
3: player you've seen in the entire league in your time of broadcasting and the 30 plus years you've.
2: Uh, covered
4: wow. the LHL. Well, I guess McDavid, you know, um, I'm, I'm not big on the, um, uh, the, what's, what's the call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're
2: the exceptional player, right? Yeah. yeah ex-
4: yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not big on that. I, I don't believe that there's a lot of 15 year olds that, that can do it now. Three of, of the five, I think have, have done it amazingly successful and McDavid, you know, I, I was prepared to say, you know, well, what's, what's all the fuss about. And the first night that I saw him, he was playing on an extremely poor Erie team at the time. And he stripped Nathan Charlitti of the puck at the Erie blue line. And Nathan, you know, for that, for that moment was the best plus minus player that we'd ever had in history, stripped him of the puck, outraced Jake Dotchin, who would, you know, eventually play some games in the national hockey league. And then whipped a shot by Jordan Binnington, who's a Stanley cup winner. And the shot went in on Binnington blocker side and went basically up and around the net and out the other side. It was it was a goal. And I just went, all right, I think I can let this guy have his exceptional status. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say Connor McDavid, maybe. Um, you know, you, you get into all kinds of parallels there. Uh, I've often thought about the OHL that, you know, certainly in it sound, that people are there to see the home team and not so much the stars on the other teams. I think the exceptions through the years were Eric Lindros, um... John Tavares, Mm -hmm. uh, and Connor McDavid. I think those are the only three that I can think of where people specifically bought tickets to see those guys, or a lot of people. We filled a house to to see those guys play. Mm -hmm. The other other angle that we get into, and and this is funny because it was with uh, Frank Carnevale's son, Taylor, that we had this conversation when I haphazardly ran into Taylor in Las Vegas one day. He asked me who was the best player who never made it. And, and you could, you know, there's probably wow. a lot of answers That's, out there. Yeah. And and the more I thought about it, I thought it would be Cameron Mann in Peterborough. Uh, when the Peets went to the Memorial Cup in 1996, mm-hmm. uh, there was no question who was their best player. And Peterborough was kind of a team of destiny that year. They they weren't necessarily the odds on favorite going in. And, and this guy basically, as an offensive player, took them all the way. And, and I don't know what the story is from a professional standpoint with Cameron Mann, but that would be my answer there. But I, I'm sure if you went into all 20 markets and said, who's the best guy on your team that never made it, you, you'd get 20 different answers.
0: What are some <laughs> of the uh, the things that stand out or, or some of your your highlights from your career so far?
4: Well, the, the Jared Maiden's goal, you know, that, that's going to last forever. You know, if, if you can top that particular moment in that game, in that series, in that year, then you will have done something.
1: In the attack hallway, Rose Shaw, Stager, Gabriel Steger, all wearing jerseys. Helis wins it to Schemitz, his shot does not get through, hits a body, coming through his brace, throws it in front, Maiden's right, scores! The Ontario uh, Hockey League Championship, Jared Maiden's on the doorstep! I don't believe it! The Hershey Center goes wide! Oh, I don't believe it! Oh! Champions. 22 years in the making and the Owen sound attack with it in overtime I don't believe it
4: I'm perfectly understanding that that may never happen again for me as, as a broadcaster or a sports fan that was that was absolutely terrific that whole day you know from from leaving Owen sound just before nine o'clock to to going to bed sometime after two the night na- the next morning there was just one great highlight I mean, Andy Brown the Athletic therapist of the attack says he can recount virtually every minute of that day, and and I believe him. You know, there were so many neat things that happened on that particular game seven day. And this is I don't know professional jealousy or, or whatever, but every time Sportsnet rolls it, they use Dan Dunlevy's call of, of that goal, which is fine. It's it's a good call, but if you look at that sequence, uh, those guys were so far away from what was happening uh, during that that uh, sequence. Just the stoppage before the winning goal was prompted by Dylan DeMello shooting the puck out of play. And Manny and I caught that, hey, that's a penalty. Or is it a penalty? Is Owen Sound going to a power play? And then the four refs, you can even see it on the TV feed, the four refs all congregate uh, just outside the blue line to say, is that a penalty or not? So eventually they decided that it wasn't a penalty and the face-off would be in the St. Mike's end. And just at that point, Manny caught, out of his eye, uh, Stager and Shaw and Stagger, and there had to be two other guys there, the, the five guys that were, were scratched that day, were standing in the hallway in their attack jerseys, and we had it from, you know, the drop of the puck, heel back to Shemitz to, to brace to, to maidens and end. And you looked at what was happening on the on the TV feed, and they only really picked it up from Brace coming out of the corner. So, you know, I've, I've always been kind of proud of that, but also to a certain extent a little disappointed that Sportsnet always goes with with the, the Rogers TV call of the goal. It's one of the greatest calls ever
2: in junior hockey. Like other broadcasters yeah. <laughs> still talk to me about that today. I ran into Jim Van Horn recently, and he still talks about that goal call.
4: And- well, Jim – Jim asked and, and Stu Kernan asked and, and some others have asked if, if that was uh, pre-rehearsed and I said, no way, you know, I don't think you anticipated that Jared Maidens would score once in that game, let alone twice. And, and, there was no way that you could possibly prepare, you know, to, to have that unfold. That was just a, a verbal explosion on our part that, that matched the moment. Um, you know, there were, there was every possibility that St. Mike's could have won that game in overtime and what would have been our call then. You know, probably mm. to, to do so accurately and professionally. So the, there's no way that was rehearsed or, or predetermined. That was one big highlight. Um, Andrew Burnett's point streak I already mentioned, 47 in a row. Um, Mike Angelitas's goal in Kitchener to win that to win that series in five games, which was was an upset. So I, I think there are lots of lots of great moments along the way, and those, those are just you know three that that quickly come to mind, guys.
2: Yeah, You mentioned a couple of there. We had Sania Apergi on recently, and she talked about that made in school, said it was the slowest moving puck she's ever seen in her life. And you remember that, right? Because we had a great view in the broadcast booth other than the 20 people behind us.
4: Yeah, you know, (laughs) as, as over the top as that call is, you know, give me give us some credit because we're being punched in the back and our jackets are being clawed at and pawed at. Like, I don't know who decided that they could get a better view looking over our shoulder to see if the game or not. So <laughs> the, the other thing that, you know, one of, one of many other things that I like about that particular day is that, you know, I look down into the corner just to the, to the right wing side, And the file family was sitting there, and and Jerry was a prominent Owen Sound car dealer and and still has a dealership here and and in New Hamburg. But I remember running into Mahana, his wife, in the lobby before the game, and she was just livid that Jerry thought that he could show up at the Hershey Center and get four tickets for the family. (laughs) And they they were sold out. And I, I told Mahana that my sister had one extra one, but not four. So anyway, I looked down, and the files were sitting in the right wing corner four, maybe five seat rows up. I think, uh, the two boys and, and mom and dad, and I don't know what Jerry paid for them, but I, I think it was money well spent based on where he was when that puck went in.
2: Uh, <laughs> just a great experience. Bayshore. sure. So, uh, uh, Jeff Kurzakis talked about that. Mike Angelita school, uh, another, we just had Aaron Franson on last week and he talked about how that 99 team should have won it all, uh, in the OHL. Do you remember how close Owen Sound was that year?
4: Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, they got sick to a certain extent. Um, that uh, that that particular series, there, there was just too much of a layoff. Really, they eliminated Guelph on a Sunday, and London went seven with Plymouth, uh, and and finished up on a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night, whatever whatever it was. So, Owen Sound didn't play from Sunday to Sunday, and because the home show was in Owen Sound, the attack started on the road, and and they lost the first game, won the second game, and had the third game at home. And almost, you know, as a curse or maybe a tradition, unfortunately, in Owen Sound is that when they get into these positions, you know, tied 1-1 with home high ice advantage or up 2-1 with home ice advantage, they always seem to give it back. They, they've done it against London twice. They've done it against Plymouth, and, and they did it in this particular case. I do remember game number four, <laughs> game number four in London. So the Knights are leading at two games to one, and Owen Sound has a 3-1 lead in the hockey game. And the attack get penalized. And it's it's one of those penalties where, okay, that team's leading, so we're going to put them in the penalty box. And I, I'll stand by that to, to the very end. So during the London power play, a defenseman by the name of Alex Henry was planted in front of the Owen Sound net. He's a very big guy. Uh, I think he played for Edmonton, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Any, anyway, he was in front of the net, and they blew the whistle. And I thought, oh, goaltender interference. It's the way to go, Henry. You put your team even. And Owen Sound got the penalty, not, not London. And so suddenly, bang, three-two or two-three. Suddenly, three-three. Owen Sound would lose that game, and I think that was the turning point. Now, in, in fairness to London, they they were the better team in that series. Uh, they they won it in five. And and as much as I can dispute the way things turned in game number four in that series, London was the better team. And unfortunately, they went they went seven with Belleville, and Belleville won that. And then Belleville got knocked out in the Memorial Cup And Ottawa, who uh, you know came through the back door as the host, were the memorial cup champions
2: the memory on this guy uh-huh. like Aaron mm-hmm.
4: franson said
2: we had joel ward on the third line how did we lose that series
4: yeah, so, it, yeah. you know it's another interesting thing to do like at the end of each year or when Owen Sound's finished playing any specific uh, team, I'll keep the lineup from the last game. So the last game against the Spitfires, I'll have the Spits and Owen Sound last game against Saginaw, last game against Kitchener, et cetera, et cetera. And it's interesting when you look at that lineup to see who goes where sometimes, just in your idle time. And that 99 team, I think would be one good example. Um, there was another one too, that, that maybe it was the 7 team that got wiped out by London in the playoffs. I think there were probably almost a dozen guys that played NHL or a little bit, Bobby Ryan, oh. Wayne Simmons, Theo Peckham, Paul on, you know, on and on and on. Or maybe was Paul Bisonette there. Yeah. Or, he, uh, he, he was acquired for the run, right? Okay. Was, it, was it
2: 07 or was it 04 that Bisonette? Yeah. Hit? So
4: I, I've got, I've got Paul Bisonette mixed up with the guy from Brampton who was the tough guy.
2: Um, oh, right. I remember who you're talking about. Not
4: Androsky about. and not Antonovich. Uh, you're just talking about my great memory, and I can't remember the guy's name. <laughs> he, he, it was funny. He ended up playing for the Leafs. So one night I'm in Buffalo, uh, watching the Leafs play the Buffalo Sabers. And if you go to a specific area, actor, some of the players will come out to meet their family and whatnot. And, and uh, Oreskovich, Phil Oreskovich. Yes. So out comes, out comes Phil Oreskovich, who's been out audible and sound for maybe a year and a bit. I'm like, hey Phil, you know, good game, congratulations, making the NHL. Nice meeting you. <laughs> 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 a buzz you, off man.
2: you may have a great memory, but a reskovich may not. Yeah,
4: yeah. Which it, I took, it took me a little while to get a reskovich. So, you know, th- just back to my original point, man, if you go back to that team that, that London absolutely demolished in that series, you know, Lane McDermott would make the National Hockey yeah. League. And, you know, the, I think that there were anywhere from nine to 11 guys that played in the National Hockey League and had good careers, you know, in, in a lot of cases.
2: Which call was worse in London? Alex Henry in that 99 series or Andre Sequeira's?
4: Uh, that was a bad one. You, know, was you a- know, what's funny. Um, you know, we're just off that game with the Spitfires where uh, Teos Jordan got penalized in, in the last minute. They gave wins of the power play and they, they scored an overtime to win it. So when I'm texting the guys to say, hey, congratulations, you've kept your point streak alive at, at eight games, hang in there, get another win tomorrow night at Saginaw. Joey Hishin sent one back to me and said it's the worst call I've ever seen <laughs> and, and I'm sitting here and I'm going not not as far as I'm concerned Joey and and you probably were in the game where the worst one was and I'm pretty sure Manny you were with me we're in Kitchener and it's it's 2008 2008-09 series so season or yeah, yeah. eight, yeah. eight, eight yeah. nine season and Owen Sounds come off a non-playoff year and they're barely sitting in eighth and they're three points up of Kitchener, who have gone to the Memorial Cup the year before and now have sold off. So this is this big game around Christmas time in Kitchener. And there's a three-point margin between Owen Sound and Kitchener, and the Rangers, you know, have this experience, and it's a big game. So Owen Sound is leading five four in the last minute. Guess what happens? <laughs> Owen Sound's about to get a, a penalty, David <laughs> Mattis, of all people you know, a, a Lady Bing candidate or a William Hanley candidate all the time. He's going to get fingered for slashing. It looks like the ref's arm goes up. He's going to call a penalty. So Kitchener's on the delayed penalty. They pull their goaltender. Scott Timmons gets the puck in the right wing corner in the Owen Sound end, and he passes it back to the point and there's nobody there. So I'm just sliding <laughs> along the board. <laughs> along, you know, and the clock's ticking down and the referee blew the whistle, blew it down. And I went, all right. Are there too many men on the ice? Uh, Nobody's offside. If the Kitchener goaltender changed or they changed before the Kitchener goaltender got to the bench, then you have to face... So anyway, they faced it off in the Owen Sound zone to give Kitchener that one more shot at getting even in the game. So that was the worst call ever.
2: (laughs) Isn't that the reason why uh, the penalty box keeper kept the Rangers in the box longer in <laughs> Owen Sound back
4: <laughs> for payback? Peter Rainsford got Rainsford. Owen Sound needed point one night based on that. And, and I, I think in Kitchener they're almost over that now. So <laughs> <laughs> my, fav- my second favorite part of that <laughs> was the next night Owen Sound played Mississauga. So that was a Friday night, a real rare Friday night in Owen Sound. And Justin Bailey was held hostage in the penalty box by a mistake by the penalty timekeeper. And there, there's no need to mention Peter Ranger by name here. Anyway, Peter had, had blocked the door. I wouldn't let this kid out when he deserved to be out. So the next night I walk into the press room And both of the Rainsford brothers are just giving it to me, saying, you've got to announce those penalties faster. And I just (laughs) held my hands up. I didn't take a guy captive. That was
2: (laughs) (laughs) on, you know, you talked about your broadcast highlights and some bad penalty calls along the way. What are some of your favorite moments on air that you wouldn't call a highlight, but they're pretty funny. you know, I've got a few that come to mind. I'm sure Matt does. But what comes to mind when you think about funny, hilarious bloopers on air? If well, I mention uh, Plymouth, you know, Frankie yeah. Santini.
4: <laughs> yeah, Frankie Santini, uh, Luigi Calci. They, they were funny ones on air. Uh, off the air, the, the greatest thing that ever happened you know, in sound or the greatest story ever, was in you know, 0405. And that's the year of the great London Knights team. And Owen Sound really wasn't that far off the mark before the trade deadline, you know, and and so Owen Sound was on a pretty good run. I think that team set the franchise record for consecutive points at 20 games and they won 17. uh, They tied two with Barry and they lost in overtime in the last, you know, London tied it up in the last minute and then won in overtime. So in 20 games, they had got, uh, you know, out of 40 points. I think that they had picked up 37 out of, the, out of the 40 points. So they were on a good roll. And Mike Stuthers was the coach. And, and Mike's solution to a lot of things was to get mad at them. But even Mike Stuthers was in a pretty good mood because his team was playing really well. We finished the doubleheader with Erie. It was a Friday, Saturday. And then thanks to OHL scheduling, we were to be in Plymouth on the Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. So at the time, and this takes some time to tell, but at the time, gas prices were skyrocketing. And the bus carrier, PMCL, wanted out of the contract, or they wanted to rework it because they were getting killed. They were losing money like crazy on this chartering of the attack. or Yeah, the attack. Well, Ray McKelvey, being the shrewd businessman, said, no way, we're not renegotiating re- anything. You're sticking to your deal. So what PMCL did was they sent us a cast of bus drivers that weren't capable of driving a bicycle, let alone <laughs> operating the, operating <laughs> the bus. So every game, we had a different time. <laughs> And, and in fairness, some of them were good, but but some of them were were bizarre characters. So this particular Sunday morning, it's snowing just a little bit. And we're leaving at 7, and there's no bus. About 10 minutes later, this guy pulls in, and his name is George. Not George, but George. So I, I think he's Swiss or German, whatever. So he comes up to me because I'm in a suit, and he wants to know if I'm the leader. And I say, no, no, I'm not. But then he asked me, where's the twenty-one? And I'm going, what the hell is this guy talking about? Where's the 21? And it takes me a while to figure out he doesn't know where Highway 21 is. Oh, (laughs) my goodness. So out comes Mike Stuthers. And Mike's in a jovial mood this Sunday morning because the team's playing well. And he says, oh, you're going to have to use a heavy foot. And I didn't hear what George said back to him. But I'd been around Mike Stuthers long enough to know that when I saw that look from Mike Stuthers, look out. (laughs) So Mike just, just braced and we moved along. The next sequence, the kids all turned, or some of the kids could turn the seats around backwards so they could play poker at the back. You could switch the seats at the back so that you could face each other. Yeah, yeah. George saw these guys doing it. He runs to the back and admonishes these kids, these players. So you can imagine how well that went down. <laughs> so now finally, George starts the bus. And away <laughs> yeah, we go. And they they, have have left yet. The they haven't left the bus yet. <laughs> he, he's 10, 15 minutes late, and it's now, I'm going to say, 7.30 for argument's sake. So he starts the bus, and you know the back of the Bayshore. He pulls up by the where the kids would, would park to the Bayshore road, and he stops. He doesn't know to go left. He doesn't know to go right. So Brian O'Leary is in the seat behind him, and Brian O'Leary yells, right! <laughs> so, so George makes the right turn, and for the next 14 minutes, we make our way from the Bayshore to Kentucky Fried Chicken. I mean, we're, I could get out and crawl faster than we're moving. I'm thinking, we're not getting to Plymouth. So we get to where Kentucky Fried Chicken is at 3rd and 10th.
2: 10 Sunday blocks, morning. basically.
4: Yeah, Sunday morning, it's 7.40 in the morning. The drunks have all gone home, and the church people aren't up yet. There's nobody on this, well, there's one person on the street up by the Coliseum. You can see a car like three miles up. George won't make the right turn against the the red light. He just sits there. So now Mike Stutter says, what are you waiting for? So George makes the right turn, pulls to the coach in, gets a red light, stops the bus, and he quits. He walks, <laughs> he walks off the bus. <laughs> so cell phones are kind of in their infancy. <laughs> and oh, my goodness. By. So George is on his cell phone. To He's standing on the corner block by the coach in <laughs> in the morning calling PMCL and Mike Stuthers on the phone to Brian Johnson and all hell is breaking loose as we sit there. 5.10, whatever, 15 minutes go by, George gets back on the bus and off we go. So we get to Sarnia, to the Blue Water Bridge, and we're on the other side, we're on the American side at Port Huron. And on gets the customs official and he says, oh, you're all Canadian here, but I have to see the non-Canadians. So Stefan Razichka, and Andre Sakara, they get off. And the custom guy says to George, you can pull up to that pylon and just wait there. George doesn't move. So Mike Stuthers, trying to be helpful now, says, oh, you didn't hear me. You can move up to the the pylon. Well, don't they get at it again, (laughs) screaming at each other, and the F-bombs are (laughs) flying at the front of the bus. And we're we're still 90 minutes from Plymouth, right? This is our (laughs) second outbreak. Sakara and Razicka get back on the bus and Sakara stops and looks around because he, he can probably still hear the echoing in the, in the chamber of what happened. So we go to Plymouth, we play the game, we come all the way back and, and I know Mike Stuthers or I know that something's going to happen here. So I'm going to get off the bus as fast as I can to avoid the shrapnel. <laughs> we pull into the back parking lot in the Bayshore, I grab my briefcase, I take one step and all I can hear, and I'm not going to swear, but Mike Stuthers, to paraphrase, says... The only papers I'm going to sign of yours are your retirement papers. <laughs> <laughs> so none of, none of that ever made it to air, but that's part you know, oh, of the funny. main school. That, that might be the most fun sequence oh, looking that's back. That's funny.
0: What, what movie have you seen on the bus the most?
4: Probably Slapshot. Uh, best bus movie in, in my in my uh, uh, tenure, I think, would be Digstown with James Wood. Uh, well, that's a good that's, movie. That, oh, okay. that, that, that was such a good bus movie. But you know, kids now, uh, it, it's funny, uh, a couple of years ago, they put on Stripes, and Andy Brown and I, we love Stripes. That was terrific. And the kids thought it was eh, lame. Uh, how many times have you seen Jackass on the bus? <laughs> <laughs> I saw Jackass 2 at 11 o'clock in the morning in Saginaw in their, in their theater. And I was the only one in the theater, and I think it was one of the all-time great moments. <laughs> when they dropped when they had uh, what was his name Duncan and and Wee Man and they were tied together by the uh, by the bungee thing and they jumped off the bridge. I was on the floor laughing inside. <laughs>
2: uh, so, f- for those people who don't know, when Fred goes on trips, Fred would disappear out of the hotel room and go to the movie theater and watch Why not? movies. At any time yep. of the day.
4: Wow. Right. One of the last times in Saginaw, I went to see Wonder, and I was crying in the credits, in the opening credits, before the movie even hardly started. If you've seen Wonder, you know what, what I'm talking about. Anyway, there was, uh, must have been March break or something. There was a classroom in this in this uh, theater. So these two teenage girls came over to where I was sitting and said, would it be okay if they saw beside me? I'm balling my <laughs> Here's this... You know, late 50 guy crying his eyes. Yeah,
3: you can sit here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, Fred Wallace is our guest. You talked about bus stories. We did a little bit of homework and had to ask you a few things. Okay. Uh, what's, what's the bow and arrow story on the bus?
4: Oh, boy. All right. Uh, <laughs> so this is 1997, I think. And John Lovell is the coach. And it's a pretty senior team and John's not getting along with the senior players and the senior players aren't getting, getting along with John. And, uh, you know, we, we were going from Sault Ste. Marie to play Windsor or maybe the Detroit junior Red Wings. I forget which, but we were, we were going through Michigan and we stopped at one of those places. That's kind of like an outlet mall and has all kinds of places. So we stopped for, for dinner or our meal at this place, but there also was a novelty shop. And so a bunch of the kids bought bows and arrows, those little plastic bows and arrows. And they were having a bow and arrow fight. Ha, ha, ha. Well, the bus gets back on the road. And probably within the first half hour, Dave Gross and I are sitting side by side. And this arrow, just almost in slow motion, goes over our head. And it strikes John Lovell. And John is just ready to explode. But he doesn't. And so for the rest of the trip from wherever we were in Michigan to, to Windsor, John kept the arrow in his hand and he just kept tapping, tapping, (laughs) tapping the front. You know, it was was at that point of the season that, that I think things had drifted on John.
3: You told me a story years ago about your debut on Midland cable. Do you want to tell (laughs) that story?
4: (laughs) We're not going there, are we? (laughs) It's one of
3: the best Fred Wallace stories I've ever heard.
4: (laughs) All right, so it's 1978-79, it's and my best friend is a guy named Doug Fox, and you may follow him on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, he went for a long time under the term Future Blue Jays and does a lot of work for uh, minor league, uh, the Blue Jays minor league prospects and whatnot. That's, that's what he follows, and that's where his passion is. So anyway, Doug was the play-by-play guy for what we called Sports 12. And so we were doing minor hockey games and high school basketball games and Simcoe rural fastball games. And I was just color man and, and Doug was then and still is one of my best friends. And, and we were just having a blast at it as high school kids. Well, as it turned out, the Midland Bantams were playing a big OMHA game against uh, Saltfleet. I think was the name of the, the community. It'd be Galt-Cambridge area, if I'm not mistaken, or towards Niagara. Anyway, they were playing this big game, but they were playing it during high school exams and uh, Doug's mother put her foot down and wouldn't let him, made him study rather than do the, (laughs) rather than do the game. So Doug had done all the technical stuff. And I know this will surprise you that I wasn't that technically astute back in 1978, but there I was by myself and I knew enough to hit play and record basically on a VTR. And I did a mic test while I was doing it. So I did this mic test And I said, testing, testing, one, two, three, listen up out there, all you (laughs) da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I probably used the four worst words that you could possibly use in sequence. (laughs) So anyway, it's tape delay, right? McLean Hunter, back in the day in Midland, they they didn't have a live hookup. So they just had a, a video cassette. And then a few days later, they'd pop that video cassette in. And so the wizard who was doing the operator just hit play. He didn't cue it up to the start of the game. He just hit play. So I'm sitting in my basement on a Tuesday night and all at once, listen up out there, you bunch of ah, 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 ah. <laughs> <laughs> so in my chair, I'm kind of melting, going, oh no. And then I, I told myself and I thought, well, it's McLean hunter and nobody watches McLean. Ring. <laughs> and the phone, the phone rang for half an hour with parents of the Bantam kids uh, Just livid that I would, would use that. Got a nice call from Reverend Little too, who was still a little king. So uh, the whole <laughs> town was pretty bummed out and my broadcast career nearly ended as a as a grade 13. Thanks, John.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man. What's the story with McCleary and the blinds?
4: <laughs> <laughs> Dave McCleary makes a lot more sense now, you know, the, the older that I've got and uh, you know when when your vision isn't as good. My vision will will never be as bad as Dave's. Uh, And, you know, the distractions of the newsroom back then would be 10 times what they are now. Anyway, Dave, uh, Dave wanted the blinds closed and it was a beautiful day. And I opened them and Dave and I had a a shouting match over whether or not the blinds would be up or down.
2: (laughs) Why did you fall asleep in the newsroom and Dave Carr had to step over or was it Dave Carr that stepped over you to do the morning show or?
4: We can Fred Deacons? <laughs> <laughs> so he stepped over me.
2: <laughs> so what's that story?
4: There was a point in time when Formosa breweries was, uh, you know, making inroads in, in the beer, certainly in the province, maybe in the country. And so whenever they launched a new beer, you'd go down to Formosa and you'd try it out. So I went down and had a face full of beer in Formosa and, had a face full of beer at Kelly's in Walkerton and a face full of beer at Danny's in Hanover. (laughs) And after a quick uh, vomit in Dave Carr's car, I ended up thinking that if I go home, I'm going to pass out and not be able to make it to work the next day. So, I had them drop me off at work and I slept at the station. It's <laughs> a vet move when you were a young man that day. That was a that vet move, move and it cost me probably $30 to have the car's car detailed. <laughs> it was a good old time. Oh, oh man. <laughs> the one of the, the best ones that I liked was back in the 80s at CFOS, when it was only CFOS, and lotteries were a big thing and there was no internet. So people were clamoring to get their, their lottery numbers. And wizards that we are, we sold the lottery line. You could call this lottery line. And it would say, here are the winning numbers in 649. And somebody was responsible for recording them and whatnot. So the lottery line number was 376-CFOS, which is genius, you know, which is promotional genius on everybody's part or whoever came up with that. Except on the phone, everybody was dialing 376-CFOS zero s so some poor prick out in springmount his phone was going 24 hours a day (laughs) three o'clock in the morning so you know at 305 the phone ring yeah what's the lottery number? well you got the wrong number. you have the lottery numbers and the other good one with it was two announcers and there's certainly no need to mention steve payton or gord dugan by name but they were having a fierce argument over who knows what i don't even know what they were arguing about but the f-bombs were flying just flying and tanya davis had started to record the winning lottery numbers and she was startled by this argument that had broken out and so she she re-recorded them or thought she re-recorded them the next day we get a phone call from downstairs and maybe it was tanya who called from downstairs so maybe she didn't record them whoever recorded them got startled by the argument and then tanya davis called up the next day and said Somebody says they're swearing on the line. (laughs) So sometimes your best intentions go sideways.
2: Oh
0: Oh, my
2: god! Oh, so many good memories with Fred Wallace, our guest here on the show. Oh man!
0: (laughs) Want you to to walk down uh, memory lane with each of us. You've known uh, uh, us for for quite a while, uh, Manny, obviously, and then and John and, and myself, what are some of your favorite stories that involve
4: us? Okay. All right. So for you, for you, Matt, I think that one of the rare times that I got sick on the road, uh, you had to fill in for me in Windsor and you ended up calling Bobby Ryan's 300 point, if I'm not mistaken, or, or yep. uh, a record breaking, a record breaking point for, for him. Uh, <laughs> ah, ah here we go uh the other one that comes to mind with Matt do michelle is the jody johnson episode <laughs> ah man ah, here we go so cfos is celebrating their 65th anniversary so this is 2005 And it's a Friday night in March, and I had a particularly good time. (laughs) And I guess I was trying to convince Jody Johnson to to drive me home. And she wouldn't, because she said she had to drive not home. And so I was heartbroken by that. And I remember grabbing my keys and throwing them against the wall. (laughs) And the next day, when I did come out of it, all my keys were bent. I couldn't figure out what had happened. And that night I said, yeah, it's strange. And Roger Menard was sitting there. He goes, you know how you, your keys are bent? You threw them against the wall when that girl would drive you <laughs> <laughs> That night, the Saturday night, the next day, I think, you know, I slept till probably noon, had a Harvey's burger, went right back to bed. And that night, Owen Sound played Oshawa and Oshawa wasn't very good. And the final score was 12-6. So my head's banging. And there's a goal going in every 45 seconds or a penalty <laughs> <laughs> So all hell is breaking loose in, in that press box. Uh, I forgot. The, what was, yeah, See you guys. W, about it. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Well, wasn't, wasn't the best time?
2: Uh, wasn't the best the other good part of that story is you couldn't get your key in the door to open
4: your car. <laughs> well, I had a great deal of trouble starting my Malibu. <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> oh man!
3: One more with Matt, though that we can mention we've played oh. the clip here on this show. Uh, the uh, the whale in Plymouth.
4: Oh God! Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. You see what just happened there? Have a look at center ice, uh, Matt. Oh, my. Wow. That is a first in minor hockey games between periods. They're trying to keep the one kid from skating through it. Man, oh, man. I'm not sure what that kid had for supper tonight. <laughs> he doesn't have much of it left. Oh, man. There is a kid here tonight in Plymouth, Michigan who yarped all over the whale. R- right in the spout, too. I, I... <laughs> and here's the cabra. This is the last thing I'll say about that kid. He was wearing a full face shield. Oh man. Oh, 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 oh. Maybe a bit of a delay to start the third. I don't know that they can get that off. Oh Hisham and Brace have scored for Owen Sound. The attack leaded 2 1 after one period of play. You know you know what the irony is? Now they're gonna have chuck-a-puck. <laughs> I think the kid got to give this kid the prize.
4: That was pretty funny. That was that was extremely funny. You know, speaking of great
2: calls, you know, people still ask me, Freddie, about why you didn't make the jump to the NHL or try to make the jump. Do people still ask you about that? Like, why? what's your answer?
4: No, I I seldom get that. Um, You know, I I think over the course of time, I applied for three jobs uh, elsewhere in Ontario. One is a disc jockey in Kitchener, uh, late (laughs) 80s. And Ted Lehman was the uh, PD at CKKW, okay. and whenever I run into Ted now with the uh, the Niagara Ice Dogs, he un- unfailingly tells me that he did me the greatest favor ever by not hiring me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't see it that way, you know, back in 1988. But that's you know, somewhat ironically, yes. Um, Bill Thomas, I don't know if you worked with Bill or not when when he was at CFOS, Manny. I didn't. Uh, no. Okay, so he he was a, a mixed programmer for a little bit. Good guy. He called me from Regina one time and said that um, there was the, the CFL gig with the, with the Rough Riders and the Regina Pats. You know, you did both basically uh, uh, for this radio station. And he mm-hmm. thought that I would be a good candidate for it, but that never went anywhere. And I think I applied to Peterborough probably after Bill Bennett passed uh, for the job that Gary Hahn got and, you know, deservedly so. So from those standpoints, there really hasn't been much of a, an inkling to Rome. And I think the other thing, too, that that kind of kind of impacts you is is a little bit of the geography, you know, that that when you look at at who makes the moves, chances are they're pretty (laughs) central to Toronto. Uh, the guys that, that make the moves, not, not in every case, but, you know, I see the guys that move up and, and think, well, they're not better than Don Cameron was, or they're not better than Jack Miller was. Although Jack, Jack has done NHL games. You know, I, I don't know that they're they're better than Steve Bell or Larry Malata or, or whatever, but I think their proximity helps them. And then, you know, the final case is they're probably just not good enough to do that, you know, to make, to make that move would have been fantastic to have those kind of resources, but you know, that's the way she, that's the way she crumbled.
2: Oh, I think you're plenty good enough, Freddie boy. Uh, how many more years are you broadcast on?
4: Depends on what the doctors say, I guess. I, know right, right now. I you know the irony is my last game might have been a seven-one whooping at the hands of the Gulf Storm, and it was a, it was a disaster. So you know that that might be my my swan song for all I know. So well, we'll have to wait and see. You know, everything's in a waiting pattern for, from that standpoint. You know, I'm I'm on uh, short-term disability now until April. I don't know when the surgery is. I don't know what the recovery process is. And therefore I don't know what's beyond that.
3: Can I put you on the spot and ask you on Fred? I've had a couple of people ask me over the years when Fred decides he doesn't want to get up at four in the morning or three in the morning anymore, and he retires from the radio station, do you think he'll still keep doing attack games? And I never know what the answer to that is.
4: I I don't know what the answer is to that either, John, you know, um, in, in some ways I'd like to, but by the same token, I'll tell you quite honestly, this is, this has been a long season, even before this kind of happened. And it's got really nothing to do with the attack organization whatsoever. It just has to do with the aging process. And I think, you know, through the years, the kids have all stayed exactly the same age and, and I've aged. And so what used to be hilarious and then amusing or mildly amusing no longer is so you know i i'm I'm not sure that i want to do any of the the travel anymore um i've been around ontario 30 times with uh with the team so it's not that i've seen everything that there is to see or that i'd want to see but i've seen quite a bit and I've, i've enjoyed it thoroughly 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 so i i don't know what the answer is to that i don't know what the answer is for off the wire i don't know what the answer is for the real estate show uh, I don't know what the answer would be for for Leon's. So we'll have to, you know, again, kind of wait and see. So that that's a very good question, John. That that I don't have an answer for.
2: So much more we could talk about, Fred. But I know you've been gracious with your time, and and we truly appreciate it. And uh, I know you've, like I said before, you've you've mentored us um, more than you've known
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, in our careers, and we thank you for that. And we look forward to the to the day that we can hear you back on the air, Freddie.
4: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. And, and like I say, it's it's up in the air. And for right now, I got a, a dog to look after and a, a leaf game to watch.
2: How fantastic was that to have fast Freddie Wallace on yeah. the podcast? The best part is we
0: edited that interview. It's four and a half hours long. So we might <laughs> we might release that at some
2: point. <laughs> Had to trim it down for, for the conversation. We really could have four podcasts <laughs> out of just talking to Fred Wallace, who's our good friend and a tremendous human being so many great songs. Oh, one <laughs> of the best he has one of the most infectious laughs it too is. when he's going yeah you can't help but
3: laugh as well and uh, remember you can follow us on social media for See, more shots the-
2: still laughing yeah,
3: about yeah. It. i know
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> it's because i'm thinking about his laugh <laughs> So yeah, follow us on social media for more debate and great content. Podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram and for future considerations on Facebook.
0: Yeah. And you can email us as well. Send us your questions, comments, topics. Are Gino and Jasmine going to make it? What the hell is Mike doing? Get out of there already. Ella, can you believe Ella? Oh my gosh. Send an email for future considerations (laughs) at gmail.com.
2: Isn't that show over yet?
0: It's starting to drag a little bit. I'll be honest. Yeah. They're stretching
3: out some of these things. We got to
0: start wrapping this up.
2: They're talking about 90 day fiance, folks. Like, come on. Everybody knows. Are you kidding? Email me? us and let them know to stop watching this <laughs> damn show. We want to thank our sponsors, London Awnings, Quality That Shows, and Shane Topolovic of Next Level Athletics in Windsor, specializing in sport training and nutrition. Hey, we did hear from them.
0: Yeah. How great was that? Text. I know. I think it was the wrong number. <laughs> <laughs> you up at three in the morning?
2: <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. it was a total you up text. <laughs> I think he was looking for the lottery line on CFOS. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: you're gonna you're gonna want to listen to this one from start to finish again. again. We'll just re- <laughs> rewind the cassette for you and play this one again.
2: <laughs> you just have to, you know, on the phones where you go back 15 yeah. seconds. You just <laughs> did they really say that? <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. The Madness continues this weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening for future considerations. That was a disgraceful performance,
2: in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their MO for
4: the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations